want to draw your attention to the principles at the bottom. Uh, these are going to be some keys that kind of guide our time together. Uh, the first one is that we are considering these issues from a biblical Christian perspective, uh, which means we're assuming uh, in the language that we use and the rhetoric that is available to us that we are Christians, we're coming from that standpoint, uh, which means things like personal experiences, opinions, certain partisan politics are not directly related. Uh, they're related, of course, um, but not directly. Uh, we're hoping to try to get a biblical foundation uh, first and foremost. The second one is that, and this is a very important one, we believe that Jesus, uh, people who love Jesus deeply can and often do have extremely opposite positions on very important um, issues. Uh, and there's actually a name to this. It's called pervasive interpretive pluralism. Uh, it represents the fact that Christians, since the beginning of Christianity, of uh, the scriptures, have had the same scriptures and have come to completely opposite positions. Uh, and so it's not because one of them loves Jesus more than the other. It's because people interpret things differently. Uh, and so the basic assumption is that people can disagree with us while still being Christians, uh, not being evil, demonic people who don't love Jesus. Uh, and so because of that, verse 3, uh, we don't want to call into question someone's Christian confession or their moral character or things of that nature because they might read the data different than we do or than you do. Um, and so the underlying assumption here is that we are friends uh, even if there are disagreements at the end of the day. Now, this doesn't mean, in number four, that we don't think there is an ultimate kind of truth. Um, there, there is not a right or a wrong. There is a right or a wrong. There is a truth. It just means necessarily we have to be humble in our uh, assertions to know that and to have it. Um, at the end of the day, I mean, we can all probably imagine an issue that we were pretty strong on at some point and then changed our mind about a few years later. And you don't know at the time, right, that you might end up changing your mind. Uh, so we have a little bit of humility going forward. And again, we're gentle, respectful, uh, and we are prayerful as we listen to each other. Um, and so tonight's issue will be abortion. Uh, there's two specific issues being presented on and discussed. You'll see this on the other sheet of paper that you have. The first is the Christian stance on taking birth control pills. Uh, and then the second is the Christian stance on voting for a pro-choice candidate. You'll notice uh, if you are a keen reader uh, that we are taking an a priori stance on the question of abortion itself, um, which means foundationally we're assuming from a Christian ethic that there is a fundamental necessity to avoid harm and to avoid uh, hurting a human being. The question really comes into play, um, at what point does that start guiding actions? At what point would possibly something be considered abortion? Would something be considered hurting another human being? Um, and so these are the two specific issues we'll be talking about during the discussion time. Uh, if you have other questions that maybe weren't brought up or answered, um, I mean, this is an open forum that we can discuss uh, among friends and family here. Uh, so with all that said, we'll get started. Chris is going to go first. He's presenting the against viewpoint, which is that Christians should not participate in taking birth control pills. Also, that Christians should not vote for pro-choice candidates. Four years. Are we following this? Yes. Okay. Chris will have 10 or 15 minutes, and then the floor will be given to Jake. In the email, we were told we were going to present both positions at the same time. However, we're not doing that according to the <laughs> schedule. So, um, uh, like my, my, Mike said, we start off with the assumption that, according to the Christian tradition, there's pretty much been no argument that abortion in and of itself, the idea of terminating pregnancy, is biblical. I mean, you, you see that all throughout Scripture, and we, we can go through that at a diff different time. Uh, but the first issue that we thought would be really important, like you said, was the question of birth control. Now, there are a number of means by which you can 
practice birth control or whatever else. And um, some of which can lead to an abortion theoretically and some of which cannot. So for instance, obviously abstaining from sexual behavior cannot lead to an abortion because <laughs> you kind of have to have the pregnancy before you have an abortion. However, there are a number of things that can lead to an abortion. Medically speaking, it can, depending upon how the medical community is defining what an abortion is at that time. The one we're going to try and focus on at this point is the most ubiquitous of all birth controls, and that is the pill, right? So we will refer to it simply as the pill because I don't have any idea how to say the technical names for it, Uh, nor do I think it's that important. Um, Now, as far as how the pill works, this might be common knowledge, it might not be common knowledge, but we'll figure it's fairly important to at least explain the kind of four basic methodologies by which the the pill kind of works. When it was introduced into the 60s, what it does is it increases a significant amount of hormone levels within a female to do a number of things. The first and foremost is to try and stop ovulation. If you stop ovulation, you don't have a kid, you don't have any question of an abortion happening. Second thing it does is it also helps solidify the wall so that the sperm can't get either through the fallopian tubes or cannot get in to fertilize the egg. No question, you can't have an abortion happening at that point. It's the other way that's not supposed to really take place but is known to have occurred and to actually occur is that if ovulation is not stopped and if the sperm is able to fertilize the egg, what it does is it stops implantation. And so if you are on the position that it is a form of abortion, then essentially the, 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 the statement that someone would make on that side of the, the, the argument is that it's essentially like starving your child to death. Does that make sense? And so there's a lot of very strong language associated with that sort of an, an idea. And many people have not heard of this, this whole point at all, period. The reason that it's not been told is because in the 60s, the, um, the federal government, as well as many in the medical community, changed the definition of the beginning of life from conception to implantation. So if conception is no longer the starting of, of a new life, then technically you're not committing abortion. Does that make sense? Okay, so that's kind of like the background behind all of it. Now, when the hormone levels were extraordinarily high in the 60s that they were giving to the woman, there were an incredible amount of side effects. At that point in time, the, um, most of the studies that were done as far as how often does ovulation still happen, in other words, how often does the, fail, does the pill fail and allow a potential for an abortion, was somewhere in the 4 to 7% range. When they lowered the dose of the hormones for the pill like we have today, estimates from the Department of, uh, or I'm sorry, the National Institute of Health indicate that the failure rate is up to 50%, which means for each ovulation cycle, there is a 50%, up to a 50% chance that the ovulation will actually happen and that the, the, the child can be formed, or I guess the, the proper phrasing that we would want to use would be um, that... Conception occurs. Conception occurs. I was trying to say why I'm playing implantation. I'm like, no, not implantation. Sorry. All right, so that conception can occur. Thus, my position, or the position that I'm defending at this moment, would be that Christians should not take the birth control pill in good ethical Christian mindset as a result of this because they could be aiding in the aborting of their child. Chris, I'm sorry, I misunderstood your first question. We are doing both issues at the same time. Okay, so. Well, on to point two. (laughs) Question number two is a lot shorter. And that is this. Um, My position in point number two that I'm defending at this moment 
is I do not believe that Christians should, in good faith or in good ethical standing in the Christian community, vote for someone who supports abortion. Now, if we have already assumed that abortion is not a good Christian ethic to begin with, then it would seem that the burden of proof is upon the person who suggests that you still can vote for someone in good standing who believes in abortion. Some of the arguments that would be in favor of you should be able to vote for someone who um, is okay with abortion, I kind of wrote a few of them down that were very, very typical, one of which would say many politicians say that they are pro-life, but they do do nothing about it. My response to that would be, so what? That doesn't mean we don't have to hold them accountable. Vote them out of office. Vote for somebody else. Um, there is another issue that there are other issues that matter is another response you know abortion is just one of many 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 issues my response would be the ethical trajectory or the ethical compass inside of a human being that would allow them to so strongly be okay with something that's so evil in the Christian community's eyes means that that's someone that I would rather not be running our nation or our mud district or anything because I don't trust their ethical instinct does that make sense? Okay. Um, another response would be someone who is pro-life can still be a disastrous politician. No doubt. So don't vote for them. Find another candidate. All right. We have a plethora of candidates. Many of them are not even on the ballot. We can exercise our right to vote for someone who's not necessarily on the ballot if they are not who we want to vote for. And then the final one that you will typically see is that Roe v. Wade made it the law of the land that abortions are legal in America. You can't stop it. There's no hope of really stopping that anytime soon, quite honestly. My argument would be, if we took that track in the 1800s all the way through the early 1900s, then um, it sounds like slavery would still be in place. Mm-hmm. Things do change. We can vote things to change. That is our power. That is our right. And so I think inaction on this particular issue, or at least minimizing this issue, saying there are bigger issues, from the position that I would be taking, I would say... We as Christians are called to protect the weak and the powerless more than anyone else. Who is more weak and more powerless than the unborn child who cannot survive outside of the mother's aid? Who has no voice to speak? We don't terminate people who are on end-of-life scenarios or like someone who had a relative that was living off of a machine for a while until they could recover. We don't terminate their life because they have no voice at the time. So... Those are my two positions. I hope I didn't speak too long. You're good. We'll turn the floor to Jake. I probably am going to speak too long. So I'll leave in advance there. Um, Just to clarify one thing real quick, and that is that uh, Chris and I actually work together on this. Uh, This is, again, to reiterate, not intended to be debated, merely an examination of different perspectives. Um, So since he's covered a lot of the historical and to some extent social background about uh, to both these events, I'm going to be taking an ethical standpoint and a logical standpoint in an attempt to present the opposing side. There's no need to cover facts again. Uh, okay, so I'm going to start off with, uh, with talking about the pill. First of all, birth control is moral. Okay? It is a choice of responsibility. And that can be a social responsibility, a familial responsibility, and a personal responsibility. But the act of trying to be responsible about when and if you have children through a preventative perspective is a moral position. However, who here thinks that birth control is 100% effective? 
Anybody, <laughs> anybody going to go there? Okay, good. Well, if, if you did, I'm sorry to burst your bubble. Birth control is not 100% effective. And through using it as a preventative measure, we're all aware of this fact. Nobody raised their hand. So that when we engage in sex, whether we're using birth control or not, we are aware that there is a possibility of the consequence of the sexual act and resulting in a pregnancy. We are accepting that when we engage in sex. We're taking strides and taking actions to reduce that, maybe even fooling ourselves that we're nullifying it altogether. But the point is, is, is we're still aware and allowing for that possibility to occur. And that makes sense to everybody. Okay. Um, so birth control is the prevention of a process. Abortion, however, is the cessation of a process that has begun. And there's a big difference. Um, it's in the meaning of the word. We abort a process. That, that we're, why we're applying abortion to a pregnancy. You can't abort a, pro a pregnancy when it's just a twinkle in a guy's eye. Well, at that point, there's nothing to be concerned with. <laughs> However, and, and my apologies for the crudeness of this particular... <laughs> now, hold on. I mean crude as an unformed. If you will forgive the crudeness of this example, birth control is bringing all the ingredients together with a recipe and then deciding at that point, you know what, this cake, not going to happen. We're preventing the process. Uh, abortion is frantically turning the oven off and yanking a hot pan of batter out. Okay? At that point, we're stopping a process that is otherwise going to be a cake. Right? It's not going to be anything else. That could be a pretty cake. It could be a lopsided cake. It could be a cake that's eaten. A cake that's not eaten. A cake that's enjoyed. Well, a cake that's not. But it's going to be a cake without fail. And we've stopped that. Um... The purpose of the pill is to prevent pregnancy. Okay, this is why it was created. It stops the egg from descending, stops the sperm from gaining viability. We heard about this from Chris. That is the intent of its creation and its use. Uh, to prevent a pregnancy from starting. Now, the chance does exist. And there is no, there is no challenging that. The chance does exist that an egg can descend. Apparently, 50% of the time. And the chance can also exist that if the egg is descended, the sperm could also have been viable at that point in time. And that the, uh, um, excuse me, that the uh, hormones of the pen have failed to weaken the, I mean, have failed to harden the uh, surrounding barrier of the egg. There's also a chance that if those two things happen, that it's all happening in the correct time of ovulation. And that wonderful, magical, limited short period of time when somebody can get pregnant. Uh, and then, in addition to that, if all of those things happen, there's still two things that could happen. One, you can get pregnant on the pill. Or, as Chris identified, that fertilized egg is unavailable and is unable, excuse me, to embed in the uterine wall. And the pregnancy is aborted at that point. And that is how we are, for the purpose of the discussion, viewing this, is that conception. Okay, this possibility can take place, but it's rare. Because it is rare, it is not intended. It's not intended by the people who created it. It's not <coughs> intended by the people who take it. So why does that matter? 
Why, why am I hitting that word so hard? Well, when we talk about wrong in a general manner, we, manner, we simply mean incorrect. 2 plus 2 equals 5, right? That's wrong. Flat out. It's a fallacy. It's mathematically, it's logically, it's practically wrong. However, when we talk about wrong from an ethical standpoint, we're really talking about sin. Does that make sense to everybody? Okay. Now, I looked at several different, several definitions of sin online. My personal favorite was it's a transgression, transgression, excuse me, of God's known will or any principle or law regarding, regarded as embodying this. So take that to the polls when you go to vote, just for the record. Uh, <laughs> the question here is known, is knowing the possibility of an abortion via taking the pill, does that mean it is sinful to take it? That's the real question when we're looking at it from an ethical standpoint. Is it a sin to be on the birth control pill? Now, what does it mean for humans to sin? For you and me? Well, what qualifies as sin? The key component is intent. The key component for sin is intent. Now, an accident, for example, an accident can be, regret can be regrettable, and it can even be an evil. However, it cannot, an accident, a true accident cannot be a sin attributed to a person because there is no intent. It was not meant to be. Now, I'm going to get into this a little bit clearer here in just a quick second. So if you're glazing over, bear with me. Um, basically, a person can bear the responsibility for causing an evil without having sinned. It is within the realm of possibility. Now, for there to be sin, you must have either thought and intent or intent and action. And I'll give you give you a way to kind of make this concrete. I have two young sons. We all know this, right? Okay. My oldest sees the youngest with a toy, and he thinks to himself, I want that toy, even though my brother is playing with it. The thought alone is not a sin. Okay? But he makes a decision. I will take that toy at first opportunity, regardless of whether my brother is in possession of it or not. The younger brother looks away for a moment. Older brother reaches out his hand to the toy. A sin has now occurred. We have thought, and then we have had intent. Doesn't matter whether he's successful. Doesn't matter even if he's able to complete the action of taking the toy. A sin has occurred. Um, uh, now, let's say younger brother looks back, sees what's happening, and hits older brother. We have another sin. We probably don't have a coherent thought. <laughs> we probably don't have a coherent thought. But you know what? We do have intent. <laughs> All right, hold on. I'll let you guys We don't have a coherent thought, but we have intent to hurt, and we have the action, the strike. Does that does that help differentiate between how thought and intent and action and intent can combine together to make a sense? Whether you agree with me or not, does it at least make sense? Okay. Uh, now, so let's head back to the pill. A woman is on the birth control pill. Yeah, talking um, Let's head back to the pill. A woman's on the birth control pill. She's taking the pill, which was created with the intent to prevent, not abort, a pregnancy. She herself has the intent of preventing. That one chance out there that is possible but where? I have no idea of statistics. I'm not going to try. I'm not going to make up a number. One million kajillion. No. I don't know the number. However, it is where the zygote fails to implant. 
Has an evil happened? Yes. I would say yes. A life is no lost. Has the woman sinned? If you follow this line of reasoning, no. Has the pharmaceutical company or the doctor who prescribed the birth control, have they committed a sin at that point? No. It's an unintended consequence that has occurred. Now, let's put this in a practical perspective. Okay? Because when we're dealing with it in the realm of abortion, we're talking about a very emotionally charged topic. So let's move it back and let's put it into a practical setting in the world. Statistics do show that every time you get behind the wheel of a car, there's a chance you are going to kill somebody. Hands down. We all know this, but we don't dwell on it. Okay, it's there. Now, everyone in this room has driven a car. And I guarantee you, everyone in this room will probably drive a car again. So, do we believe at that point it is a sin to drive? Even though there's a very real chance, however slight, that we're going to kill somebody. By doing so. I'm walking home now. <laughs> <laughs> well, the answer is, is it is a sin to drive if it is your intent to kill someone. You get behind the wheel of the car with the idea that you're going to run somebody down. That is when it becomes a sin. Because intent, we have exercised our will as people. It all goes back to the apple. It all goes back to the apple. Okay, so, if all of that makes sense and follows reasoning, that is a case for why a woman could continue to take the birth control pill from a moral and ethical standpoint. And that's, that's that. So now moving on to the next topic. Yeah, I'm going way over time. Okay. Alright, voting. Okay. Uh, if you wandered through the forest with me on that last one, <laughs> stay close. Um, first of all, can any of you name a single individual you know at the moment, have ever met in your life, uh, that uh, you completely 100% agree on their opinion and stance on everything? My wife, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Duly <laughs> noted. The record will show. Happily married for how long? <laughs> that particular answer aside, um, I would hazard by the silence of the rest of you that uh, that nobody quickly sprang to mind, or even after a few seconds of thought. Why? We're all individuals. We all have different interpretations of things, we all come to God in a slightly different way. It's a wonderful thing. It really is. It enables us to have conversations like this, that we have differences of opinion, or are able to present differences of opinion, and still be united in community and in a moral life. Okay? Now, with that in mind, I'm going to make a statement, and uh, I'm hoping I don't have to justify it, but I will if I need to. <coughs> Voting is a moral duty. Does anybody disagree with that? That if you live in a country, okay, if you live in a country and it allows for you to make a vote, that you have a responsibility as a moral Christian to cast a vote, to participate in the process. 
Well, we've got one person who would disagree with me. Okay. No, Fair uh, clearly not, because I think we do I wouldn't make a challenge to that because I don't think a challenge to that is actually relevant. Okay. No, well, then I'll just move on. From no, no, I would proceed. No, I would proceed. That's fine. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Um, okay. It, it's practically impossible to find a candidate who's going to espouse all of your particular ideas and beliefs. Now, granted, some of them are more important than others. Some of them are bigger than others. Some of them have a bigger moral cost than others. And I am not trying to take the position of you should support somebody who has a pro-choice standpoint. What I'm saying is my position here that I'm going to go into in a second is it is within the realm of possibility for you to cast a vote for someone who has that attitude and still be acting in a moral position as a Christian. Okay, so, so assume then that you've got to vote to be moral and you've got to uh, pick your best choice. So now we come into the principle of double effect. All right, principle of double effect. There's four conditions. Well, first of all, principle of double effect assumes that there are actions that we take in our life that have multiple results. You can do something and have multiple results come out of it. For example, casting a vote. If you cast a vote, you're putting a politician in the office who is going to take multiple opinions on multiple different things. Um, now, for double effect to come into play, there are four conditions that must be met. And the first two are kind of related. One, the action itself must be morally good, or at least morally indifferent. Neither good nor evil is what I mean by that. Two, the good effect must not be obtained through the evil effect, i.e. by means of the evil effect. Ultimately, to boil those two statements down, it means that good cannot come about through evil means. Make sense? But casting a vote, participating in the process, that would be a good act or a morally indifferent act. Now, the evil effect must not be intended rather only tolerated. So, what we're really talking about is here is you have a candidate and you like what most of what he has to say, but he doesn't have the same viewpoint you have on this particular issue. Well, the third thing is there must be a sufficiently serious reason to justify allowing the evil effect. At that point, it's on you. The good that this politician is going to do can that outweigh the thing that I disagree on on moral grounds? If so, casting that vote is not a sin. If anything, not casting that vote could be construed as one. So much of what we do in this life has multiple consequences, some of which are intended, some of which are not. Mm -hmm. To deny our nation and our legislation a multitude, of, a multitude of goodness in an attempt to stop one particular sin is a dangerous ground to tread. <coughs> I'm not saying that we have to tread that ground, and I'm not saying uh, uh, that, we, uh, that we don't. What I am saying is, is we have the possibility open to us, and we should not feel 
in the wrong if we're making a choice at that point for the greater good. I'm done. Okay. We're going to give Chris, if he would like it, five to ten minutes, uh, <laughs> a quick on. response. <laughs> Jake went the same. And then we're going to open it up for everybody uh, because we're a little bit more interested in what you guys think and how we can all kind of yeah. discuss together. Um, this just get our juices flowing uh, and to kind of set the stage. Um, so, Chris. Yeah. When we when Jake and I got together, so Mike asked us if we would speak, and so we're like, oh, okay. <laughs> Jake and I, Jake and I are, are largely of the opinion. I think Mike is too. That most of what we're talking about here are not things that a debate is going to quote unquote solve or whatnot. I mean, debates don't really do a good job of making people say, "Aha, oh, holy cow, it changed my mind. It changed my life." Um, instead, debates are good for starting a conversation. And when I look out here, I see, you know, a family. And a microphone. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I see a family that I see every Sunday and other days as well throughout the week. And so this is supposed to try and springboard us as a community into a conversation about these two particular issues that, are, that we both think are big issues to, to struggle with. I mean, we know people on both sides of these issues. Heck, in a given day, we might be on either side of this issue. Um, every voting cycle, it seems to come back to one of these issues, right? <laughs> Um, so, and, and, and what was really nice is the fact that I tried to present more of the popular view and give responses to what would be popular responses to this view, and Jake was able to bring in more of a nuanced, kind of like more of a, um, an abstract historical argument against these. And so, it, just trying to give you a whole different perspective about what's going on in these particular arguments, I hope it's being beneficial to you all. Um, the first, the first thing I would respond to, as far as the um, going to the first issue with the birth control pill, and I didn't get a chance to write all of this down, so forgive me. But the cake example, <laughs> in the cake example, I would I would consider that to be a false example because if you were to make it correct, it would mm -hmm. be you cook the entire cake, you finish it, take it out of the oven, throw it in the trash. Because if we consider life to begin at conception, that's the completion of, the, of like there it is, life has now started. Okay. And so it would be the continuing or the, the finishing of the baking of the cake. So I would I would reject that example for that reason. Okay. Um, the argument from it is rare, and thus um, it's not something necessarily that can be caused or can can be considered a sin. I would argue there are many other things that are rare that would be considered sins if we did them. Like have being rare is not actually a relevant statement to if something is a sin or not. It is rare for me to want to go and throw, well, maybe this isn't so rare, but throw no, Mike into those bricks over there. In fact, I've never done that. It's so rare. Okay. That came up pretty quick. I have thrown him into the concrete before and held him down until he said uncle, but, and I'm not lying. Um, but it is rare. That's why I decided to become pastor. It is rare, but that does not make it non-sinful either. And I would also suggest that it is rare might not actually be an accurate statement. If ovulation occurs 50% of the time mm -hmm. for each monthly cycle, if you take the pill for 10 years, 12 times 10, that's, you know, take 50% of that, that's the, that's the potential number of times that this actually could happen. Now, best estimates, no one really knows, but the only estimates that I was able to find from any authoritative uh, people were somewhere between 9 and 12 million abortions that occur as a result of the, um, the pill in America per year. No one really knows that number, to be perfectly honest with you, but that's the estimates that we have right now from those who live in ivory towers. So, um, as far as the intent, intent matters in sin, in other words, if it's not intended, then it can't be a sin. 
I don't know that I would necessarily buy that. Sometimes it, it would make sense, like if you're completely ignorant of what's going on, and you just made an honest to goodness, holy cow, I had no idea that was going to happen. Then I, I, I can at least think that there would be an argument to be made in favor of that. But I mean, think about the state of Texas. If I said, man, it's going to really be fun if my kids get to slide down this massive slide, and they're two. And what's going to happen? Well, it could be that they just like fall off the slide and severely hurt themselves, and CPS is at my door, and I'm going to prison. Right? I mean, neglect of children. I mean, even the state would see something severely wrong with that. No, you can't hide behind ignorance necessarily. Um, now, I would also make the argument if a Christian does not know the information that has been presented today, then I would not say that they have sinned because it was true ignorance of the whole topic. But once someone who is a Christian knows of the potential side effects that are very real and medically possible, in fact, medically certain to have happened at some point if you take it long enough, then I would consider it to indeed be a sin, uh, to continue to do so. So, I mean, I, I go with you to a certain degree on intent, but knowledge has something to do with it as well. I mean, even the person, even Jesus says himself in Scripture, you will come to me and say you cast out demons in my name. You had the best of intentions, and I will tell you I do not know you. Depart from me. I mean, this, this is pretty pretty big deal. Jesus does not, he's not cool with people being willfully ignorant. Um, so that's that's how I would try and um, go against that particular argument. The last thing that I would say is, man, this is a lot of philosophical gymnastics to get out of this uh, this this moral imperative. Maybe I, I was I was impressed. I'm, I'm usually the one taking this. And so by seeing someone else do it, I mean I was je- like, kudos to you. That was impressive. I thought I was listening to Thomas Aquinas. So I think that at the end of the day, it doesn't really have to be that complicated. If we have to do that many mental gymnastics at some point, could it possibly be that we're trying to convince ourselves? Mm. I, in my life, that's what I've typically found to be the case. Well said, though. Um, you made them laugh more than I did, you jerk. <laughs> as far as the voting one, this will, again, be a whole lot quicker. Uh, the principle of double, um, of double effect, if indeed abortion is... As, as a lot of people who are pro-life would call it, if indeed it is an, a form of murder, if you will. Um, now, obviously, the intention has to be there. I think that, you know, when we're talking about the abortion pill, especially out of ignorance, I don't think we can call it that whatsoever. But if you're supporting someone who supports abortion, then indeed they would be fully aware, okay, yes, you can go into a clinic and abort this child. Right. Then what, what good can trump that? These people are the most weak, the most powerless of our society. There is no weaker and more powerless. To protect them should be our highest ethical calling. Now, there are many ethical callings. Like, for instance, I would never support someone who is going to say, hey, we should kill all of these people, but not the unborn children. Well, I'm not going to vote for that person. They have a moral problem on one side and a really confused mind as to how this all works out somehow. (laughs) Instead, I would say, let's look for the candidate who ethically supports what we support by and large. Now, what stinks is that sometimes that candidate is not on the ballot and has no chance of winning. But I would still reject the argument of, well, we should, at that point, we should at least vote for the better of the two. Well, if both candidates on the ballot support abortion, I would still maintain to say, well, I'll just vote for the lesser of two evils, and yeah, they still support abortion, but, you know, I've got to vote for one of these people, otherwise I'm throwing away my vote. That's, that's kind of like a, a form of ends justifying the means. And ends justifying the means can lead to, and has led to in the last you know, 100 years, 
the slaughter of a lot of Russians, a lot of Jews, and a lot of other people because the ends justify the means. It's good because of the result, which is not a Christian position. The Christian position would be the ends matter and the means matter as well. And sometimes the means matter so much that we know it's not going to end well unless God intervenes. Mm. And so I will vote because the means matter and God's going to have to intervene to make the ends matter as well, or to, the ends to turn out well. And with that, I am done. Uh, I'm going to keep it short because I'm anxious to get to the open discussion. Um, let's see here. Uh, to address the... Do you want to see my notes? Uh, no, I'm going to see my notes. You're a good man, Griffin. You're a good man. You're going to be helpful. Um, uh, let's see here. I'm just going to address the stuff that he said. The cake example, I'll fully admit, as I opened it up with, it was a crude example. Uh, it wasn't meant necessarily to be an accurate reflection of a process, more to start the, uh, start the discussion. So uh, I completely agree with Chris that that is not the best example to describe that. Um, as for rareness, I have no idea how rare it is or not. It may be extremely rare. It may be, you know, three times a year for everybody. I don't know that number. Like Chris said, those numbers are not there. Um, however, you you face the situation of, again, I don't think that the rareness of the situation nullifies the whole intent aspect of sinning. Uh, your intent now, to some extent, knowledge is important, as Chris brought up. For example, it wasn't my intent to shoot him. I just pointed the gun in that direction and it went off in my hands. There is a whole litany of sins of negligence, sins of omission. All of that stuff we can get into, we can split hairs, and we can talk about over and over and over and over and over again. Uh, the question is how fine do we split that hair? How, how far do we take that? Because at a certain point, we stop, we lose sight of the discussion and become interested more in the method of how the discussion is being handled. Uh, so I'm not going to take it any further. Does that make sense? I, I think I've stated the whole intent idea, which I'm just presenting a, a position there. So take it for what you will uh, on that. And that also addresses intent and I didn't sin. Um, Let's see here. It's for lots of philosophical gymnastics to support the view. <laughs> Who here can describe love in three words? <laughs> tell me all about beauty. I'm right here. T tell me. I agree to Chris that the issue itself is probably very simple. What you feel about it is probably intuitive and comes at you directly. But to describe that, verbally to a group of people takes a lot of verbal gymnastics. It just does. We can't just make a blanket statement and expect everyone to wander along. We have to give support. We have to break it apart a little bit. Sometimes that takes a lot of words. Sometimes that takes seven more minutes of words than, than the other guy. <laughs> um, so I, I, I completely concede that yes, there was a lot of dancing and, and jumping through hoops. But uh, I, I believe that what I was describing and talking about, the definition of sin and how it factors into our actions, is not a complicated thing. Uh, voting. 
Principle of double effect, terminating the weak and powerless, all that fun stuff. You know what? It's right. He's 100% right on all of those things. But at the end of the day, the question is, is what does trump that for you? Is there something? Because if there is, vote away. If there isn't, don't vote for that person. But you should be able to go to the polls with a clean conscience. You should go to the polls, and if you do have to make a decision for the lesser of two evils, so to speak, you're not making a decision, well, I'm allowing this evil to happen. I'm enabling that good. It is possible that this evil may come about by me enabling that good, but I am not taking a direct action that necessarily causes the evil to take place. Um, politicians are politicians, and he's right. You can vote for anybody you want. You can write any name you want to on the ballot. And you know what? If more people in America did that, America would look a lot different. Mm. Uh, and I would be 100% okay. I don't care about the argument or the concept of throwing away votes. Throw that sucker away. I would rather see you throw your vote away, quote unquote, and vote your conscience. Even if you're just writing Jim down on the street in <laughs> for president, I don't care. Vote for who you want to vote for. Vote for who's right. But I challenge you to find someone who's going to have all the same opinions you have on abortion, on war, on the death penalty, on soup kitchens. And the other thing to consider here is if you're voting, if you're casting a ballot for county clerk, his position on abortion shouldn't mean it. A, a, a single thing. He may want to hand him out by a six-pack. He has absolutely no power to do that. What does he have power to do? I don't know. So my point is, is that that's an issue that's of vital importance for certain positions in certain elections. And we bear the responsibility as voters to be informed voters. To not, to not, not listen to what they're promising us. They'll say anything they can. I challenge you to find a politician who won't say anything he can <laughs> to get into office for any party whatsoever. The important thing is, is for us to be responsible, informed voters, and know what he can actually do. Simple as that. You have a real strong opinion about this? You have a real strong opinion about abortion? Either way, I don't care. It's going to come into play in our very next presidential election because we're going to have three sitting judges come in probably in the next four-year term. And the people who are going to have an impact on that are the people you put in the White House and the people you put into Congress. So be informed. Now, the guy you vote in for city council, no impact whatsoever on the abortion issue. Your mayor, no impact. Your state legislator, yeah. He'll have an effect. Now, that's what I'm going to say about the voting idea. Yeah. I'd like to thank Chris and Jake for volunteering. We want to reiterate you. that uh, what either of them have said could or could not actually be at the end of the day their own like personal beliefs. I intentionally asked both of them to try to take polarizing as much as possible mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. options on it. And so we do, throughout all of the sessions, have people who are taking positions quite opposite from what they might actually say in like a one-on-one -on -one kind of coffee situation. Um, I'm going to be moderating a bit 
coming forward here. If anyone has a question, particularly for one of the speakers or for whatever they said, that's fine. Or if you just have a talking point, something you want to discuss, we're going to open up to pretty much everyone and just try to keep it kind of organized a bit. Zach, I see a very eager hand up. I do. Oh. Uh, <laughs> um, I, this, is, this would be to Chris. Is there any rebuttal to, to Jake's argument about the fact that every day we drive a car and there is a chance, a remote chance, that by doing that, we will cause serious harm to somebody uh, with with the with his whole other argument in play. Um, I would say that I wouldn't I wouldn't accept the argument as far as it being valid in the sense of in one instance you're dealing with the possibility of being you know committing abortion as a result of knowing something and choosing to ignore it and simply for convenience sake. Okay. Whereas when you're driving a car, in today's society, it's a necessity, and you're also not dealing with an unborn child who has no ability to voice opinion or make decisions or anything else. If you're driving a car and someone else is driving a car, both of you have made decisions to get in the car knowing that both of you could be killed by the actions of another. You, both of you have assumed the same risk. So you're, you're saying that by driving the car, you are no longer ignorant of yeah. that risk. No, you was, drive fully aware... Yeah that you need to be cautious about that. Right. So in other words, yes, I could kill someone by my neglect, but they could also kill me. It's a risk both of us are willing to take as sentient human beings who are able to make decisions, take evasive maneuvers, whatever else. Whereas an unborn child has no ability to do any of that. It's just, I just died. What if a guy is driving 200 miles an hour in the rain, drunk on cocaine, uh, texting, flies off the road into your living room and kills a, a, t- a four-year-old. Um, that would be impressive. <laughs> 200 miles an hour in my neighborhood. <laughs> well. No, I, I understand your question. No, 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 no but, but do you? The, 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 I mean, that isn't anywhere near the risk. That doesn't come close to the risk of six people a year that you're talking about. Right, I but mean, in the... That, that, that guy is nowhere near as irresponsible. Wait, I'm not understanding. Who, what, the guy sitting in his living room. Oh, the guy, okay, gotcha, gotcha. Um, I, again, I would fail to see how that example would line up because someone, I mean, you're sitting in your living room, the, how, and someone's doing coke and everything else. I mean, how, how does this line up as, a, as a, an example that would somehow relate to the abortion? He's saying when you got in the car to come over here, you took a microscopic chance of killing somebody. And accepted the risk that I And accepted the well. risk vice versa. It's a different thing than than the guy who willingly violates all laws, all this, all that. Completely agree. Jacks the riffs up thousands of fold. Completely agree. However, I I've, I still don't understand how that example in any way relates to the abortion question. Like it's well, not in any way the same. So you could drive two hundred miles an hour every place you go for your entire life and probably kill one person, uh, not six a year. I'm saying. But now the example's turned into, what about if I decide to drive 200 miles an hour and violate the law? I mean, well, and let's clarify something. There's a 50% chance each month that a egg is released from right. the uh, okay. ovaries. That does not necessarily mean that uh, six a year are aborted to the process of using the pill. Is what you're uh, saying that that is such a high risk that you're, you're going... You're being very irresponsible in that. It's even rarer than if you were being irresponsible by taking the pill. Yeah. But yeah, it's still possible, and you'd still be guilty. Taking the pill is right. dozens of times, 20, 50, 100 times worse than driving 200 miles an hour, drunk, uh, while texting. Um, it, 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 you know, it's one thing to take a risk that's that big, which we all did getting here, 
versus willingly taking it, making right. risk sky but high. I'm, but I'm still not understanding who's the one who we're equating to taking the pill? The one driving the 200 the driver, miles an hour? Yeah. Well, the one driving 200 miles an hour is like completely breaking the law, should go to prison, and is endangering the lives willingly of everyone around him. I mean, th this example is in no way relevant, I don't think. Um, I want to thank you both first for the incredibly respectful and loving way you dealt with each other. And there was nothing snarky or ugly, and I'm so grateful for that. I'm grateful to be a part of a church like that. So here's my question. Um, a theologian from Pepperdine said, uh, and he was talking about eating meat, and that in the world God created, as he meant it to be, we would not eat meat, that eating meat was part of the fall. And so... In the world we live in, uh, for a woman either just to cut her husband off, which we all know is never a happy thing, or to, or to just have limitless children is so damaging to a family, and we all see that, and we live in a fallen world. And I, I mean, I'm not, I know I'm making, I'm just saying it's so complex. It's, it's, um, it's not an easy question, and, and, and I'm so grateful. And, you know, part of my mind was thinking, oh my gosh, Chris is telling all these young women this. Maybe he should leave them in ignorance. <laughs> 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 he, he has just totally pulled that brain out. That's actually what my wife told me. I mean, to respond to what you're saying, the, the very statement that you're talking about, we live in a fallen world with very bad circumstances, that's actually going to be an argument that comes up on a number of these debates that we have, especially yes. the just war issue. Um, that's why Jake and I thought that this issue as well as the voting one were really important issues because quite honestly, as you can just as you just saw, we both made pretty decent arguments, I think, for both sides. Yes. I mean this this is an issue that I think we as a community need to struggle with. Um, I guess kind like, of Are you okay on other birth control means? I'm I'm not clear. I mean in this position, the other birth control In this position okay? there's there's a whole list of them. It, basically this position would state and I guess I'll betray what I think you were earlier you know, I'm I'm of the opinion that I don't think I'm not gonna speak for anyone else in here, but for my family we've made a decision that we will not use the pill. Because when we found out, we were horrified, and it was just one of those like very dark times. You know, it's like, holy crap! I don't want to get to the resurrection and find a bunch of my children. You know what I mean? Uh, it was just—it was a personal decision for us. I stress it is also for you. I don't think that there's a clear-cut, absolute answer on this. Um, but it makes it a lot tougher. I'll tell you that. Um, we have three kids now. <laughs> but, but I mean, there, there, are, there are a number of different birth control methods, without going into all the details, that can cause an abortion, as, as, we, as I would call it. Because, um, I, again, I consider life to begin with conception, not implantation. So if one of those means has the ability to allow conception and deny implantation, then my personal position would be that you that that is allowing an abortion to happen, and so those and you have to do some research. I mean, it, they are tricky. They do not tell you stuff. They'll change definitions. So they don't have to relay other information. Maybe find this out if you look at a lot of the, the labels. You know, when when the law went through and all the labels had to be presented, all of a sudden you're like, whoa, this is not good for me. And then you go and do some research, and you're like, okay, I'm doing great here. Fat free, fantastic. Well, legally, it just has to be free fat. You don't have to pay for the fat. Free. Or if you're a beer drinker. <laughs> Seriously. If you're, if you're a beer drinker and it says Coors Light, it simply has to legally be lighter in color. 
And it can be called Coors Light according to the legal definition. When they go to court over all this kind of stuff. But that's, that's <laughs> or my favorite would be carb control. Carb control. What does that mean? Oh, that's Nothing. Your oh no, we need to talk about natural, organic, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, hormone-free, any of that. Yeah. Oh god. And so, yeah, you're, you're we don't Would you list off birth control that you would that you would feel? <laughs> I guess that was the first point of the question, wasn't it? Uh, okay. We like rabbit fails here. Obviously, <laughs> abstinence, which if you're in a marriage situation, I don't advise. <laughs> <laughs> kind of need to be able to say that. Um, surgical means, obviously, whether it be a vasectomy or hysterectomy, duh. Um, male condom, I'm just kind of listing these off. I don't entirely know what exactly some of these are, but we'll just go with it. Diaphragm, women, I assume you know what that is. <laughs> uh, <laughs> female condom, cervical cap. And then periodic abstinence um, based upon monthly cycle. So in other words, if oh, the woman please. is... that's a 12-child family. Well, <laughs> you, would be, you would be surprised. I've actually seen statistics... I'll, I'll shut up after this. Sure. I've seen statistics in our doctor even, because uh, when we went through this whole ordeal, we're like, and we need lists of options. <laughs> but um, but what, 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 the, what our doctor had told us is if you actually combine the use of condoms and also understand your monthly cycle and make sure it's not anywhere near ovulation, your chances of getting pregnant are like less than 10%, way less than 10%. Birth control can fail 5% of the time. You get pregnant 5% of the time using birth control pills. So yeah, I have a 12-year-old son because of that. There you go. Yep. There you go. So anyway, all that to be said, I mean, there are other methods. It's a little trickier, makes it a little more difficult. But. Okay, Jessica, that's interesting. I was just saying, I'm not an expert, but I do have several friends that do natural family planning, and I think it is a lot of work. I mean, they track your temperatures, but it is a very, very effective method from what I understand from the, my friends that do follow it. Um, I mean, you track your temperatures and all that, but I have friends that actually know when they're ovulating. And so, I mean, they've done this for years and years, and I've managed not to you know, have controlled the number of children that they have. You can correct me if I'm wrong. That is the official Roman Catholic teaching, right? It is. I grew up in New York on Long Island with tons of 13 children families of women who religiously, quite literally religiously followed the rhythm method. So maybe it, maybe it's all new. Maybe women have all new improved systems. Maybe they have the wrong idea of what rhythm method is. I would love to play de- a devil's advocate, mostly because I think it's fun. So, uh, uh, so here goes. Um, your I don't know, but I'm liking it. <laughs> right. So your thought process on birth control is assuming that the woman is having sex either in marriage or outside of marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, I would love to know. I have three things. So your first one is I would love to know your opinion on um, a woman taking birth control and not actually having sex and so still being abstinent. Ooh, interesting, right? Um, then, <laughs> and then uh, you said, I'm trying to quote you, and I, I probably won't get it right, but you said something, 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 oh, crap, if this happens. And the first thing, I know, it really, it's really not that good. Um, and the first thing I thought was rape, and I'm wondering if that's where you're going with. So if someone who um, got raped and got pregnant, talk about abortion there. And your assumption would be that the woman would have to be proactive against being raped by taking birth control, and that would be okay. But how do we know if we're going to be raped? Um, there's always a chance, you know. So that was interesting to me. I love for you to talk about that. Something, something. Oh crap! No, no, no. no, 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 no. Um, it'll 
come back to me. Okay, say what I'll, let I'll me step in as moderator you. real quick, not because mm-hmm. anything's happened, but we're going to be especially careful mm-hmm. to use very gentle and very respectful language, uh, particularly about an issue such as rape. Uh, so, mm-hmm. all right, how oh, harsh can I do Oh, this? I remember the third one now. Okay. Um, and then we were talking just plain abortion, and there are times when um, it was the, I can hurt you, but you can't hurt me. And there are times in pregnancy when the baby can actually hurt the woman. Okay, gotcha. All right, so you're, wait, look, we're going to I've got your second two. The first one, what was it? Help me out, guys. Hey, what? Well, the first. Oh, not having sex. Not having sex. Not having sex. Not having sex, but still being on the pill. Right. I don't. That's for medical purposes. Whatever. I, I mean, you know, it, could, it could possibly happen if you want to take the pill. As a matter of fact, sometimes with <laughs> acne treatment and whatnot, they're, they're on the right, pill. Right. Um, so as far as that's concerned, uh, you're not talking about abortion at that point. You're talking about you want to take a pill for whatever medical reason you want to. Um, second issue, what about in the, in the instances of rape and then if the mother's life is in danger? The mother's life is in danger. That is an issue that I will not answer. I don't have any idea because I'm not in that position. Wow. That is a legitimate. I have no stinking clue. Maybe I'll have more of a clue when I'm in the position, but I have no idea because it's this life or this life. I'm inclined. If it was my family, my idealistic nature says I would never want to be a part of terminating a life. Now, if we're trying to save the life and this one loses their life, because you never know. The doctors say oh, they won't last the night, and then, then my grandmother goes on and lives the next 10 years. You know, um, I'm inclined to never want to take a life in this kind of a situation. Um, however, that is such a personal, like, you and guy get to deal with this. I mean, I don't even have an opinion for anybody else on that particular issue. When it comes to the issue of rape, I mean, it's kind of on the same lines. I would argue... Um, I, as gently as I possibly could, that two wrongs don't make a right. The um, the child didn't ask to be born, didn't do anything wrong, <clears throat> and I would argue if this child is indeed a living human being, medically, don't they have the right to live as well? In other Can words, the mother argue that same right? Mm-hmm. She wasn't doing anything wrong. Oh, I completely, not I completely agree. It'd be kind of like this. Let's say Mike pulls a gun, shoots me in the arm, and so I decide, you know what? To make this right, I'm going to pull the gun and shoot Jake in the arm. Because that's no, essentially what's happening. Now we have a third party who is not involved in the actual assault. And, and I feel like what's happening is, is we're trying to make the situation go away by doing essentially what, we, what I just said here. Again, this is not for me to necessarily impose that view on someone else because I'm not in that position. And so I would say they need to think about it. I would just simply offer that as a, just think about it like this. And if you still choose to go through with it, I'm not going to judge you. If you don't choose to go through with it, I'm not going to judge you. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. This is very ignorant of me. Does the Bible state anything closely related to that? About the rape? Something similar to that. Um, and not, not in the same sort of way. Right. Um, there are instances where you have someone being raped, and so now you have an invasion of a kingdom as a result of it. <laughs> Thinking about... Never mind. <laughs> um, but, but the idea of two wrongs don't make a right is all the way through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. If someone strikes you, turn the other cheek. Uh, if someone demands that you carry their back, you know, their pack, whether it be like a Roman soldier or whatnot, for one mile, which they could do under the law, and carry it too. 
you know, it, it's it's the kind of the intention or the thought process behind what's going on. You don't make something right by ending someone else's life who did not cause the problem. Now, my and other people, and maybe even myself, would argue you don't fix a problem by ending even the person's life who caused the problem. So I would just take that into this. Group. I would interject with two thoughts real quick. The first is that we had started this by saying this is obviously a biblical kind of discussion. This out of all the sessions will be the least biblical mm. in terms of like we haven't really looked at a lot of scriptures because there's not a lot of direct scriptures. There's no scripture that I shall not have an abortion uh, and we can look at it and talk about it. First, with death penalty and war, like we're gonna have Bibles out, mm-hmm. and we're gonna be looking at passage after passage after passage, things like that, for most of the positions. And you're saying um, that's because they just didn't have this technology, right? No. Uh, no. Abortion is very, a very old practice. Well, then how come it's not in there? You might uh, here's, oh, go ahead. Uh, no, you might have this one. Well, there are plenty of passages that can be applied <laughs> to the abortion situation. Abortion was known; they had it in ancient Egypt. It is not. It was not a. Uh, it's not like talking about internet porn and trying to find biblical reasons against that. It's. It, it was something that was there. Uh, however, the silence that they have is pretty deafening, and the other quotes that they have uh, that we can pull from the Bible here is, uh, um, as Chris said, "In my sin, my mother conceived me." Uh, Psalm fifty-one seven. The same word is used for the child before and after the birth uh, in Luke one forty four. Word for infant. In other words, it's an infant at the moment of conception. It's how Luke refers exactly. to them. And when they're born, they're still an infant. It's the same concept. You, if, if you're if you're fervently foaming at the mouth, pro-choice, you're going to turn to that and say the fact that they didn't say anything against it is, means that they were aware of it and didn't feel a need to prohibit it. And you go through Leviticus, you're going to see they prohibit some very specific things. Yeah. However, the the counter-argument to that, though, is there was no need to talk about something that would have been seen as, at that time, particularly if they didn't have the technology to do abortions in the way we think of them today. They didn't have the technology to do abortions in the way, or even birth control. I mean, birth control was crocodile dung applied. Internally, now, do you I mean know that's that? not you something that strikes any of us as sanitary. I would <laughs> hope. Um, so, go ahead. Let me, let me tack on to that real quick. And, um, it's kind of like this: we don't feel the need to right now discuss if murder is biblical or not. Should I be allowed to literally just go to my neighbor and just kill him? Oh, it depends. Like, just kidding. Like that's just kind of an assumed. Everybody knows this to be true. There's no point. Like if you were to look back at our culture, you know, aliens one day, ten thousand years from now, go, man, in America they were just all about murder. They never talked about this. The silence has more to do with the fact that we didn't need to talk about it. You know what they're struggling with by what they do talk about. And I would say this to interject lastly on one of the things on your recommended reading. I doubt any of you are this interested, maybe to go buy a book. But Michael J. Gorman, who's a top-rate scholar, a liberal scholar, is the first one on there. Abortion, the early church, Christians, Jewish, and pagan attitudes in the Greco-Roman world. There are extra-biblical Jewish sources that talk about abortion. And almost unanimously, uh, the extant sources condemn it. Um, so as far back as we look in the Judeo-Christian tradition, there's been a pretty strong unanimous voice, voice um, I can actually list you have some actual sources yeah. here. Uh, if, if that is really a concern, 
about uh, what does the Bible say? So there is evidence to think that the silence is from an axiomatic assumption. Because where we do hear a voice, it seems pretty axiomatic to those authors. Um, that in their tradition, their community, this phenomenon. In opposition, direct opposition to a lot of the pagan cultures, that was in certain regards a very common thing. Uh, here we go. Um, Non-biblical references to opposing abortion. Uh, take a look at the Sibylline Oracles. Take a look at Dadas, chapter 2. Take a look at the letter to Barnabas from the Codex Sinatras. Uh, unknown author. Uh, take a look to the letter to Diogenetus, uh, an epistle of Mathetes to Diogenetus, dates around 138, uh, 130 AD. Uh, specific citation would be chapter 5 and 6. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Everyone turn that right now. Um, so there are plenty of things that were floating around at the time. Well, you talk about what you need to talk about. Uh, and what needs to be talked about is the things which are in question. Right. And remember, we haven't even traveled within 100 miles of the question of can you be pro-choice politically. Right. That's That we're steering clear of specifically because that actually is a discussion on how involved should the Christian be in the political process and putting together actual policy. So one, one My concern there, and y'all are really young, but we used to be called the silent majority because of this exact thing. Christians would not involve themselves in politics because politics are inherently corrupt, and they just are. And it wasn't until until we said enough of that, and and, and it's true, we make compromises um, because there is not a single man out there, I believe in the way I believe in this man, or any of you are my father. You know, I can't find that in the political spectrum, but if I am silent, it just seems to me the very worst. That it just, it's, it's very frightening to me. And yeah. In fact, I, and, and, um, I don't mean to get political here, but some of the people I hear who are pro-life, very anti-abortion, are in so many other ways so utterly appalling to me, so uh, unfeeling to the people who are alive and walking around. And... I, I just think yeah. it is an the incredibly reason, complex. The reason problem. we the reason we're steering clear of it, I'll keep that going. No, it's okay. The reason we're steering clear of it is not because we don't believe or not believe in that. It's because that's actually going to take front and center on one of the other debates. Oh, okay. Sorry. Yeah. We're not actually trying to avoid it just for because we're like, oh, that's a little too yeah, well, <laughs> too big of an elephant in the room. You know, that's irrespective of the argument I presented for why you could vote. If, if there was nothing wrong with championing a cause, and the flag you're going to raise is uh, pro-life, there is nothing wrong with making your mentality when you enter into politics or view politics, making that cause a key viewpoint of that. Obviously, it is with Chris. That is that that is actually to be admired. But when you talk about these people who like, oh come on, everybody knows Westboro, right? Mm -hmm. That goes back to something else Chris said, something I touched on. Wrong does not equal right. You cannot obtain a good through evil. I mean, you can see that argument. What's that? I mean, you Ooh. can see that argument. He got you there. All right, Zach. Uh, I wanted to say something about Chris's stance on the um, the potential for you know the harm coming to the, the pregnant woman. 
because this is something that Michelle and I have to, I'm, I'm sorry, she's going to get... I was wondering if you were going to take it out. Way to go, Zach. <laughs> uh, it's because this is something that Michelle and I have, have to deal with, and I feel, I feel very strongly um, that regardless of whether or not, if we hold that abortion is ethically wrong, uh, that regardless of the consequence of what that would bring about, that does not make it ethically right, uh, regardless of whether or not it's harm or even death. Um, and I would say that for anything, you know, if you if by lying you get killed, that doesn't make it right to lie uh, at any point. And uh, so, I, I just I feel much stronger about that than Chris. And so our our solution is to try to prevent it from happening to the nth degree at whatever we can. Right. And uh, we've discussed it, that if she ever did get pregnant, well, we'd, we'd have to roll the dice um, rather than be immoral. I'd like to bring up two things in response to that. The first is, I do agree with Chris, and I was actually talking with Adam this morning about this, that the enemy love sections in Scripture uh, might come into play here. There is very a, a very strong strain of scripture that almost sees suffering as a Christian virtue, uh, as something not to be avoided and things of that nature. So perhaps passages like turn the other cheek uh, and passages talk about carrying your cross, um, even when someone has harmed you, do come into play when we're talking about rape or talking about physical harm that might come to someone. The other... Um, Lost lost me. And that was the better point, but I, I <laughs> <laughs> should have let in with that one. Um, yeah, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think we have a responsibility <laughs> to bear children responsibly. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, the caveat to that, however, is that does not justify us dodging the consequences of our own actions. Mm-hmm. So then at what point are we trying to simply weasel out of getting sent to time out from mom to give it an obvious consequence of an action as opposed to doing our best to bear responsibility uh the question at hand was not is abortion ever right when we talk about the pill is, is that a viable option right and and in your course you were talking about uh avoiding things for harm to the mother I'm with Chris. I'm not going to take a stance. Don't ask me to. But what I can tell you is you shared a little bit of personal information. Uh, she's not here to defend herself, so I'm going to share a little bit of myself as to Valerie was pregnant for two years straight. We had ours one right after the other. Valerie's morning sickness was 24-hour sickness and lasted in the third trimester. The commode in the master bathroom had the porcelain stripped from the drainage pipes because of how much she had trouble with her nausea. Uh, Because of that, we have taken steps. I got a vasectomy. And we are open to adopting. But we have taken that step then to ensure that she doesn't undergo that pain. Uh, Again, I don't think that's an immoral decision to make at the outset from the beginning. However, the question of morale and the ethics then comes into play, what if that hypothetical does happen. 
I don't believe personally, and I'm not going to condemn anyone in this room for anything. Lord knows if you look at my past, I'm going to have to sweat. But, um, <laughs> but I don't think that we live in, an, we do live in a perfect, perfect world. Pain is a part of our existence. We go to lengths to avoid it. That's understandable. That's a Pavlovian response at the end of the day. But we should never lose sight of our purpose here. And if we're Christians, we have a very definite moral and spiritual purpose for being here. And I don't think we should dodge pain or even uh, attempt to prolong our life uh, by dodging death or the chance of it to negate that per that spiritual purpose. I hope that makes sense. A question, what do you guys think about those women who keep having children irresponsibly mm -hmm. and live off our government? They're going to have a long talk with Jesus. <laughs> I mean, it's, <laughs> you know, it, it's one of, it, it upsets me because, well, I'm, I'm helping you pay for your kids and your irresponsibility. And I'm not saying you should have an abortion every yeah. time. No, right? no, no, I'm no. Just they, saying, they, they are being irresponsible sure. with their right to reproduce. However, that's not the kid's fault either. Uh, no, I mean, but you're being, also being born number 14 in a yeah. family of 15. Sure, and, and in a poverty-stricken, you know, region, that's, that's terrible. Just alone in our city alone, I mean, how many families do we have with multiple kids who are either handicapped or the parents, it's either a single-parent household or they just don't make enough money. They can't feed these children, I can kind of yet still have mm -hmm. more. Can I talk to that a little bit? Mm -hmm. Um, my brother, I don't know, y'all see me with two little guys running around here on Sunday, uh, really stressed <laughs> out. Those are my nephews. And the, the mom actually got pregnant in order to keep my brother around. Very irresponsible. Mm -hmm. um, but now I have... She didn't do it by herself. She did not do it by herself. <laughs> oh, you believe me, we, my brother and I talk. Um, <laughs> um, but I, and I've gone to this place because now they're living with me, and basically I'm mom. And I've had to come to terms with the fact that I'm no longer just aunt, I am mom. Um, and I, I just praise God every day that I get the chance to love and raise these kids. Like, who knows what God's plan is for me if I'll ever get married or have kids. But I have this wonderful moment in their lives to show them God's love for them, you know. And, you know, they, they Not every child you. is blessed with an aunt like you. Well, and that's hopefully there will be more. Okay. I agree that there is. Well, let me jump in on that. Um, Okay, that's a wonderful problem. Not wonderful. That's a joyous problem. So that is a problem, and, it, and, and thank you for bringing it up. The question then becomes, okay, we've identified a problem. What are we going to do about it? So there are people in this world who are always going to make poor choices. There are people in this world who are going to abuse their rights and their powers. And that, that's, just, that's a given. That's called life. However, we as Christians, as a community, have a responsibility. So at that point, okay, they've had 14 kids. Right. We need to care for those children. Right. We need to uh, see that they're loved mm -hmm. or taken care of. The best way you can do that, outside of personally in being involved in a ministry that addresses that, is exercising your right to vote. Would, what about educating the parents? I would actually take a little bit of issue with that. Uh, okay. I would have a slight disagreement with Jake. I would okay. say um, the problem that you bring up is a valid problem. I don't. I mean, it's not. A, it's not really necessarily an abortion problem. I don't think because I, would, I personally would always be against that. You know, that kind of a solution to a, the problem. Um, but I would say that that issue. I think that far too often we as Christians 
think that we're helping solve that problem by voting or what we vote for, that the government needs to step in and take care of those issues. Mm -hmm. We put the burden on the government when, in fact, historically, biblically, the burden is ours. We're the only people in this world that actually understand what this world is, what it should be, and even have a clue of what to do about it. The state could come in and tell them you can't have kids and force them to have, you know, their organs taken out. I have no idea. I mean, there's a million different things that the government could do. But that doesn't change this world. Right. The only thing that changes this world is Jesus. Mm. And we're the only ones, the church, who knows Jesus and has the ability to even talk to this world in such a way that light shines down and we give them a glimpse of the kingdom of God. And so I would say, yes, voting matters for sure. But voting is the least important thing that we could do to solve problems like that. Mm. We actually have to take a step and say, okay, where's this hurt? Okay, there's the hurt right there. As far as I care, government, you just stay out of this mess. We're taking care of this. Because yeah. the government comes in and starts regulating, suddenly we can't do anything. Mm-hmm. Let me, can, I can, can I give the floor to China? Can I give the floor to China? I was just going to say the Port Yellow Pregnancy Center. <laughs> 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 I used to work on two years ago, and I mean, every center is a little different, and their methodologies are all different. Some of them are good, some of them are terrible. But um, all those girls that come in, some of them, I mean, everyone's got a different story. And some of them really are clueless. Um, some of them are really young and they don't realize you know the patterns that they're committing and they're coming maybe from families that this is just what they know um and so a lot of the centers actually work on educating um you know teaching them how to be good mothers but also teaching them to make different lifestyle choices to prevent that and so i just know a lot of the centers out there are struggling and so i think it's something that would be good for the church to do would kind of come up on you know help them out that way and that would be a way to address that issue maybe but I don't know that's great one of my favorite statements by a guy named Harwas and he says that the church doesn't have a social strategy for the world the church is the social strategy for the world so we don't necessarily get to tell the government this is how you fix the problem we get to say guess what we will fix the problem or at least be there and kind of bridge the gap and so we're almost in a sense witnessing to the world by saying we're going to go take care of these people. Uh, and if you want to be like us and see kind of the light of Christ and the kingdom coming, this is how it looks. Um, so, But when there's hurt, we go find it. We go suffer. We go give resources. We go give time and give love. But I think you and Jessica both hit on an interesting thing, which is that often in these issues, there are deeper foundational problems than what first appears. For instance, you all know the, the company Tom's Shoes? Uh, they're very famously, you buy a shoe, they give someone else a shoe. Well, not too long ago, it caught out that they were actually hurting some economies by giving away free shoes in the third world, because that was one of the leading economies of indigenous people. And they are undercutting the economy that's already there by giving out free shoes. So they were doing something good with the right intentions that was ultimately hurting the overall mission that they had. So when it comes to abortion, there's a lot of people that would argue crime and poverty are really much more foundational than abortion is, um, which I think would also tie into the voting issue. I think it's fair to say one might say, I could care less about their pro-life, pro-choice stance as much as I do if they'll really make an impact on poverty and crime. Um, I would say that personally, for me, uh, I think the best way to address the abortion issue is through education and through, uh, well, basically just education. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, we're not equipping our children 
to deal with concepts of sexuality. Or Jake, our, our children's generation mm -hmm. is the most sexually educated generation America has ever produced. And when I was a teenager, nice girls did not have, <laughs> I mean, it just didn't happen. And it happens all the time now to affluent families, mm. babies out of wedlock mm. and, and abortions all the time. So education, as far as I can see, is not the answer. What it is, is that we no longer... Respectfully, we don't respectfully think I agree with what you're saying. Okay. I, I hear what you're saying. However, we also have a huge information network. And I would question if it's really more commonplace now, or we just have a better ability to really know the extent of the true situation. Uh, also, I agree with you that we don't need fully educated teenagers walking around who know everything about sex you can learn from any brothel in France. That's not my I'm talking, however, about, um, ideally from a Christian perspective, bringing children up in a moral environment that does address sexuality. Because often, um, at least what the stereotype would be, is it's a taboo subject completely. Do, do you think something we're going to talk about? Like parents of our age, the way I'm, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm not in a position to judge parents of your age. I would say, I would say from an educator's perspective, <laughs> don't mean to jump in on you. Sorry about That's that. Okay. Have a response. Sure. Um, I just can't talk again. Um, <laughs> from an education perspective, um, I, I don't really have a lot of faith in quote unquote educating because what educating does is it quote unquote disseminates information, and so you can make very good people better, or you can make very bad people worse. You can make people very dangerous with education. Teach, you know, an Iranian scientist how to do nuclear fission, and you might have an atom bomb going down through something. You know, it's just, education can be very, very bad. I know very well, to the nth degree, that before I go to bed at night, if I can get into the kitchen and do the dishes before my wife gets downstairs, I will have a very happy wife, Aww. and it will be very wonderful in my household. <laughs> that does not always no, translate. <laughs> that does not always translate to me doing the dishes. There are always other things that I find I need to do more, <laughs> and I know full well that I really don't need to do them more. All that to be said, I don't think education will bring about change. I think Jesus brings about change, and I also think that you don't stop murderers by educating them on the dangers of murder. You stop murder. I'm using extreme examples. Sorry. You stop murderers by putting them in prison. Does that make sense? Yeah, but you can I educate them in prison. Though. You can educate them in prison. I think. But it's, yeah, I'll educate them in Let's go. Let's go to Hayden. Uh, I think your point is heard, Stephanie. Uh, very well. Do you think the point is heard? Yeah, I just think this is also much more complicated than we thought. I will. I would say, as a ninth grade teacher, real quick, my kids know. All the dangers of having sex. They still have sex. Yeah. And in class. And, and the I, Christian kids do too. When, that, well, we these, I'm talking about Christian no. kids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I always tell my kids it's because they have been taught, even by their Christian communities, a risk taking approach to avoiding sex, right. not a mm. theological approach. So the whole world knows you can get AIDS or you can get unwanted pregnancy or whatever kind of STD by having sex. And that doesn't stop anybody. I mean, you roll the dice. This is a, a very strong natural urge that hits you at 13 or 14 years old. However, if there is a spiritual transformation or a real connection with Christ, that might affect change. So I think it, it, education plays a role, but you're right. You can see in a lot of different areas where we've educated way more than we should have, and it's done nothing if not increased the problem. Um, so I agree, but Hayden had his hand up maybe 10 minutes ago. So Hayden? 
Sorry. Uh, well, being the youngest person in this room, um, <laughs> and being part of that generation that you're that you're speaking of, like I remember when my dad sat me down to have like the birds and the bees talk, like I w- was finishing his sentences. It's you're right. We are by far the most sexually educated people of our, of this generation of our generation. How you want to phrase it? Um, Having said that, though, I think the, where our education from is coming from the wrong source. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I I wish I mean I have no regrets. I love my parents, but they weren't the most Christian of people. Um, I think as parents and as educators, I think we that I pray that I grow up to be that we that we take a stand on where that education is coming from. If our education is coming from our friends who think they know everything, then we're like, like Chris said, it's from we know the risks, but but we don't understand the responsibility. And so what we say, so what we do is that we gamble, and we say, well, I'm gonna. No one's really telling me about what's gonna happen if I do get a girl pregnant. All we are taught is that to satisfy that urge, and so as where that I think where where it has to come down to is is whether whether you think that education is is the answer or whether it's not I think the source of the education is what's what I feel would be the most important mm-hmm. if if our education is coming from our friends who look it up on the internet or who come from other friends it's it's coming from the wrong source but if it's coming from our our parents at a at an early age who look at it because they are Christians because they want to, us to understand that biblically it, it's um, sex out of marriage is wrong or you know even that's kind of getting you know kind of away from the abortion issue um, I think it should be that that like 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 I don't even know how to really phrase it. I think what said has been said I was just merely saying that the source of the education is where where I feel the issue is coming from. Mm-hmm. Pretty? I would love to speak to your topic, and I've actually developed my own personal opinion on it, and please everyone jump in. Um, what I've noticed in my generation is this distinct lack of fathers and of mother figures. And so what I've noticed is, is that we've developed a great need for that relationship, so not only do we not have the physical father and mother, we also don't have a father. So what people have done is gone out to seek that love and seek what they need. And so what, what do you do? What's the next thing to, you know, unconditional love? It's having a child. So, um, you know, people really don't think through that, but that's what happens. Oh, now I have someone who's always going to love mm-hmm. me because I have not yet been loved first. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Mike has been talking about the, you know, we are the social action plan. And so it is our duty to be, you know, fathers and mothers and sisters and brothers to people who don't have that. Because then, because we are a family, that's where we're created to be as Christians. And then we can truly become whole. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I really feel our generation has, you know, slipped more into that even though we have education. It's because we, we have that hole in our heart that we can't fill mm-hmm. or don't think we can fill. Mm-hmm. Uh, so even though... And, in past generations, mothers and fathers were there much more often. So that's how I've formed my opinion. 
is that um, it's our duty to be those mothers and fathers and brothers. Parents and are becoming younger and younger each generation, mm -hmm. so they don't know how to be parents. No. Because they're still growing up themselves. Absolutely. Jake, uh, when we talk about generational comparisons, mm -hmm. there's a couple of things that we have to be aware of. One is that there's the word blame that just kind of floats around out there, and I don't think that really has a place in this particular conversation. Mm -hmm. And I think we're doing a good job of avoiding it. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing I think we should consider as we talk about these things, and I'm sure they'll shoot me down if, I, if they disagree, is that we need to remember that we all operate in our own little bubble, and everybody does. For example, my parents come from, being of your generation, uh, come from a background similar to what you're describing. Uh, however, when I went out to California, I met a lot of people of your generation who had a lot of fun from 65 to 78. <laughs> and let's not forget that that's where Roe vs. Wade came about. Um, so, uh, you, you're talking about the year 65 to 70? Yeah. Right. <laughs> 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 65, I was in elementary school. <laughs> well, then my apologies to you for that. Um, but, but, I mean, it, there's... Well, there's also a cultural there's background that you need to take into consideration, not just the generation itself, but the cultural. It is a natural trait of humanity to take our own situation and the situation we observe and apply that to everyone we assume is like us. That's normal. And that always comes up in these kind of conversations. But we also have to take a step back and realize that it may be a different situation in Montana. Sure. It may be a completely different cultural gap, generational gap. I mean, for all I know, parents are still having swinger parties in Oregon and <laughs> kids are walking around, you know, in black ties and white shirts everywhere they go. Uh, <laughs> let me say, let me say this. We are at eight thirty, uh, which means if you want to leave. <laughs> no one's judging you. No one's. We will close the doors at nine, and if you're still talking, we just ask maybe take it to the coffee shop or someone's house or something like that. Um, so again, we can stay. We can talk. If you want, if you need to go, you need babysitter. You want to go? That's fine.